Chapter twenty six of the House of the Arrow by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty six The Facade of Notre Dame. For a second time they were fortunate. It was a day without mist or clouds, and the towering silver ridge hung in the blue sky, distinct and magical. Hanaud lit one of his black cigarettes and reluctantly turned away from it. There were two great mistakes made, he said one at the very beginning by betty harlow one at the very end by me and of the two mine was the least excusable let us begin therefore at the beginning madame harlow has died a natural death she is buried betty harlow inherits the harlow fortune boris wabersky asks her for money and she snaps her fingers why should she not ah but she must have been very sorry a week later that she snapped her the fingers for suddenly he flings his bomb madame harlow was poisoned by her niece betty imagine betty harlow's feelings when she heard that the charge is preposterous no doubt but it is also true a minute back she is safe nothing can touch her now suddenly her head is loose upon her neck she is frightened she is questioned in the examining magistrate's room the magistrate has nothing against her all will be well if she does not make a slip but there is a good chance she may make a slip for she has done the murder her danger is not any evidence which wabersky can bring but just herself in two days she is still more frightened for she hears that hanaud is called in from paris so she makes her mistake she sends a telegram to you in london why was that a mistake frobisher asked quickly because i began to ask myself at once how does betty harlow know that hanaud has been called in oh to be sure i made a great fluster in my office about the treachery of my colleagues in dijon but i did not believe a word of that no i am at once curious about betty harlow that is all still i am curious well we come to dijon and you tell her that you have shown me that telegram yes jim admitted i did i remember too he added slowly that she put out her hand on the window-sill yes as if to steady herself but she was quick to recover returned hanaud with a nod of appreciation she must account for that telegram she cannot tell me that maurice thevenet sent a hurried word to her no so when i ask her if she has ever received one of these anonymous letters which remember were my real business in dijon she says at once yes i received one on the sunday morning which told me that monsieur hanaud was coming from paris to make an end of me that was quick eh huh? yes but i know it is a lie for it was not until the sunday evening that any question of my being sent for arose at all you see mademoiselle betty was in a corner i had asked her for the letter she does not say that she has destroyed it lest i should at once believe that she never received any such letter at all on the contrary she says that it is in the treasure-room which is sealed up knowing quite well that she can write it and place it there by way of the hotel de brabazar before the seals are removed but for the letter to be in the treasure-room she must have received it on the sunday morning since it was on the sunday morning that the seals were affixed she did not know when it was first proposed to call me in she draws a bow at a venture and i know that she is lying and i am more curious than ever about betty harlow 
he stopped for jim frobisher was staring at him with a look of horror in his eyes it was i then who put you on her track i who came out to defend her he cried for it was i who showed you the telegram monsieur frobisher that would not have mattered if betty harlow had been as you believed her innocent hanaud replied gravely and frobisher was silent well then after my first interview with betty harlow i went over the house whilst you and betty talked together in the library yes said jim and in mademoiselle anne's sitting-room i found something which interested me at the first glance now tell me what it was and he cocked his head at jim with the hope that his riddle would divert him from his self-reproaches and in that to some extent he succeeded that i can guess frobisher answered with a ghost of a smile it was the treatise on strophanthus yes the arrow poison the poison which leaves no trace monsieur that poison has been my nightmare who would be the first poisoner to use it how should i cope with him and prove that it brought no more security than arsenic or prussic acid these are questions which have terrified me and suddenly unexpectedly in a house where a death from heart failure has just occurred i find a dry-as-dust treatise upon the poison tucked away under a pile of magazines in a young lady's sitting-room i tell you i was staggered what was it doing there how did it come there i see a note upon the cover indicating a page i turn to the page and there staring at me is an account of simon harlow's perfect specimen of a poison arrow the anonymous letters they are at once forgotten what if that animal wabersky without knowing it were right and madame harlow was murdered in the maison Ganelle? i must find that out i tuck the treatise up my back beneath my waistcoat and i go downstairs again asking myself some questions is mademoiselle anne interested in such matters as strophanthus hispidus or had she anything to hope for from madame harlow's death or did she perhaps not know at all that the treatise was under that pile of magazines upon the table at the side i do not know and my head is rather in a whirl then i catch that wicked look of betty harlow at her friend monsieur a revealing look i have not the demure and simple young lady of convention to deal with at all no i go away from the maison Gunnel, still more curious about betty harlow jim frobisher sat quickly down at hanaud's side are you sure of that he asked suspiciously quite hanaud replied in wonder you have forgotten haven't you that immediately after you left the maison Gunnel that day you had the sergent de ville removed from its gates no i don't forget that at all hanaud answered imperturbably the sergent de ville in his white trousers was an absurdity worse than that an actual hindrance there is little use in watching people who know that they are being watched so i remove the sergent de ville and now i can begin really to watch those young ladies of the maison grenelle and that afternoon whilst monsieur frobisher is removing his luggage from his hotel betty harlow goes out for a walk is discreetly followed by nicholas moreau and vanishes i don't blame nicholas he must not press too close upon her heels she was in that place of small lanes about the hotel de brabazard 
no doubt it was through the little postern in the wall which we ourselves used a few days afterwards that she vanished there was the anonymous letter to be written ready for me to receive when the seals of the treasure-room were broken but i don't know that yet no all that i know is that betty harlow goes out for a walk and is lost and after an hour reappears in another street meanwhile i pass my afternoon examining so far as i can how these young ladies pass their lives and who are their friends an examination not very productive and not altogether futile for i find some curious friends in betty harlow's circle now observe this monsieur young girls with advanced ideas social political literary what you will in their case curious friends mean nothing they are to be expected but with a young girl who is to all appearances leading the normal life of her class the case is different in her case curious friends are curious the espinosas maurice thevenet jean leclerc flashy cheap people of that type how shall we account for them as friends of that delicate piece of china betty harlow jim frobisher nodded his head he too had been a trifle disconcerted by the familiarity between espinosa and betty harlow the evening hanno continued which you spent so pleasantly in the cool of the garden with the young ladies i spent with the edinburgh professor and i prepared a little trap yes and the next morning i came early to the maison grenelle and i set my little trap i replaced the book about the arrows on the bookshelf in its obvious place hanno paused in his explanation to take another black cigarette from his eternal blue bundle and to offer one to jim then comes our interview with the animal Wabersky, and he tells me that queer story about betty harlow in the street of gambetta close to the shop of jean cladel he may be lying he may be speaking the truth and what he saw might be an accident yes but also it fits in with this theory of madame harlow's murder which is now taking hold of me for if that poison was used then someone who understood the composition of drugs must have made the solution from the paste upon the arrow i am more curious than ever about betty harlow and the moment that animal has left me i spring my trap and i have a success beyond all my expectations i point to the treatise of the edinburgh professor it was not in its place yesterday it is to-day who then replaced it i ask that question and mademoiselle anne is utterly at sea she knows nothing about that book that is evident as mont blanc over there in the sky on the other hand betty harlow knows at once who has replaced that book and in a most unwise moment of sarcasm she allows me to see that she knows she knows that i found it yesterday that i have studied it since and replaced it and she is not surprised no for she knows where i found it i am at once like Wabersky. i know it in my heart that she put it under those magazines in an upcott's room although i do not yet know it in my head betty harlow had prepared to divert suspicion from herself upon an upcott should suspicion arise but innocent people do not do that monsieur then we go into the garden and mademoiselle anne tells us her story 
monsieur frobisher i said to you immediately afterwards that all great criminals who are women are great actresses but never in my life have i seen one who acted so superbly as betty harlow while that story was being unfolded imagine it a cruel murder has been secretly committed and suddenly the murderess has to listen to a true account of that murder in the presence of the detective who is there to fix the guilt there was someone at hand all the time almost an eyewitness perhaps an actual eyewitness for she cannot know that she is safe until the last word of the story is told picture to yourself betty harlow's feelings during that hour in the pleasant garden if you can the questions which must have been racing through her mind did ann upcott in the end creep forward and appear through the lighted doorway does she know the truth and has she kept it hidden until this moment when hanaud and frobisher are present and she can speak it safely will her next words be and here at my side sits the murderess these must have been terrible moments for betty harlow yet she gave no sign of any distress frobisher added but she took a precaution hanaud remarked she ran suddenly and very swiftly into the house yes you seem to me on the point of stopping her and i was continued hanaud but i let her go and she returned with the photographs of mrs harlow frobisher interrupted oh with more than those photographs hanaud exclaimed she turned her chair towards mademoiselle anne she sat with her handkerchief in her hand and her face against her handkerchief listening the tender sympathetic friend but when mademoiselle anne told us that the hour of the murder was half-past ten a weakness overtook her could not but overtake her and in that moment of weakness she dropped her handkerchief oh she picked it up again at once yes but where the handkerchief had fallen her foot now rested and when the story was all ended and we got up from our chairs she spun round upon her heel with a certain violence so that there was left a hole in that well-watered turf i was anxious to discover what it was that she had brought out from the house in her handkerchief and had dropped with her handkerchief and had driven with all the weight of her body into the turf so that no one might see it in fact i left my gloves behind in order that i might come back and discover it but she was too quick for me she fetched my gloves herself much to my shame that i hanaud should be waited on by so exquisite a young lady however i found it afterwards when you and giraudot and the others were all waiting for me in the library it was that tablet of cyanide of potassium which i showed to you in the prefecture she did not know how much anne upcott was going to reveal the arrow poison had been hidden away in the hotel de Brabazard but she had something else at hand more rapid death like a thunderbolt so she ran into the house for it i tell you monsieur it wanted nerve to sit there with that tablet close to her mouth she grew very pale i do not wonder what i do wonder is that she did not topple straight off her chair in a dead faint before us all but no she sat ready to swallow that tablet at once if there were need before my hand could stop her once more i say to you people who are innocent do not do that jim had no argument wherewith to answer yes he was forced to admit she could have got the tablets no doubt from jean Claudel. 
very well then hanaud resumed we have separated for luncheon and in the afternoon the seals are to be removed before that takes place certain things must be done the clock must be moved from the mantel-shelf in the treasure-room on to the marquetry cabinet some letters too must be burnt yes why robisher asked eagerly hanaud shrugged his shoulders the letters were burned it is difficult to say for my part i think those old letters between simon harlow and madame raviat alluded too often to the secret passage but here i am guessing what i learnt for certain during that luncheon hour is that there is a secret passage and that it runs from the treasure-room to the hotel de Bravazar. for this time nicholas marot makes no mistake he follows her to the hotel de Bravazar, and i from this tower see the smoke rising from the chimney look monsieur there it is but no smoke rises from it to-day he rose to his feet and turned his back upon mont blanc the trees in the garden the steep yellow patterned roof and the chimneys of the maison grenelle stood out above the lesser buildings which surrounded them only from one of the chimneys did the smoke rise to-day and that one at the extreme end of the building where the kitchens were we are back then in the afternoon the seals are removed we are in madame harlow's bedroom and something i cannot explain occurs the disappearance of the necklace frobisher exclaimed confidently and hanaud grinned joyfully see i set a trap for you and at once you are caught he cried the necklace oh no no i am prepared for that the guilt is being transferred to mademoiselle anne good but it is not enough to hide the book about the arrow in her room no we must provide her also with a motive mademoiselle is poor mademoiselle inherits nothing therefore the necklace worth a hundred thousand pounds vanishes and you must draw from its vanishing what conclusion you will no the little matter i cannot explain is different betty harlow and our friend giraudot pay a visit to jean baudin's bedroom to make sure that a cry from madame's room could not be heard there yes our good giraudot comes back yes but he comes alone that is the little thing i cannot explain where is betty harlow i ask for her before i go into the treasure-room and lo very modestly and quietly she has slipped in amongst us again i am very curious about that my friend and i keep my eyes open for an explanation i assure you i remember said frobisher you stopped with your hand upon the door and asked for mademoiselle harlow i wondered why you stopped i attached no importance to her absence hanaud flourished his hand he was happy he was in the artist's mood the work was over the long strain and pain of it now let those outside admire of all that the treasure-room had to tell us you know monsieur frobisher but i answer a question in your memorandum the instant i am in that room i look for the mouth of that secret passage from the hotel de Bravazar. at once i see there is only one place the elegant sedan chair framed so prettily in a recess of the wall so i am very careful not to pry amongst its cushions for the poison arrow just as i am very careful not to ask for the envelope with the postmark in which the anonymous letter was sent if betty harlow thinks that she has overreached the old fox and oh 
good let her think so so we go upstairs and i find the explanation of that little matter of betty harlow's absence which has been so troubling me jim frobisher stared at him no he said i haven't got that we went into ann upcott's sitting-room i write my memorandum with the shaft of the poison arrow and you notice it yes but the matter of betty harlow's absence no i haven't got that but you have cried hanaud that pin it was not there in the pen tray on the day before when i found the book there was just one pin the foolish thing young ladies use a great goose quill dyed red and nothing else the arrow shaft had been placed there since when why just now it is clear that where was that shaft of the poison arrow before in one of two places either in the treasure room or in the hotel de Bravazard. betty harlow has fetched it away during that hour of freedom she carries it in her dress she seizes her moment when we are all in madame harlow's bedroom and pa pa there it is in the pen tray of mademoiselle anne to make suspicion still more convincing monsieur i walk away with monsieur bex who has some admirable scheme that i should search the gutters for a matchbox full of pearls i agree oh yes that is the only way monsieur bex has found it on the other hand i get some useful information about the maison glenelle and the hotel de brabazar i carry that information to a very erudite gentleman in the palace of the departmental archives and the next morning i know all about the severe etienne de grenelle and the joyous madame de brebazard so when you and betty harlow are rehearsing in the val de Zon, nicolas moreau and i are very busy in the hotel de brebazard with the results which now are clear to you and one of which i have not told you for the pearl necklace was in the drawer of the writing-table jim frobisher took a turn across the terrace yes the story was clear to him now a story of dark passions and vanity and greed of power with cruelties for its methods was there no spark of hope and cheer in all this desolation he turned abruptly upon hanaud he wished to know the last hidden detail you said that you had made the inexcusable mistake what was it i bade you read my estimate of anne upcott on the facade of the church of notre dame and i did cried jim frobisher he was still looking towards the maison glenelle and his arm swept to the left of the house his fingers pointed at the renaissance church with its cupolas and its logia to which betty harlow had driven him there it is and under its porch is that terrible relief of the last judgment yes said hanaud quietly but that is the church of saint michel monsieur he turned frobisher about between him and mont blanc close at his feet rose the slender apse of a gothic church delicate in its structure like a jewel that is the church of notre dame let us go down and look at the facade hanaud led frobisher to the wonderful church and pointed to the frieze there frobisher saw such images of devils half beast half human such grinning hogmen such tortured creatures with heads twisted round so that they looked backwards such old and drunken and vicious horrors as imagination could hardly conceive and amongst them one girl praying her sweet face tormented 
her hands tightly clasped an image of terror and faith a prisoner amongst all these monsters imploring the passers-by for their pity and their help that monsieur frobisher is what i sent you out to see said hanaud gravely but you did not see it his face changed as he spoke it shone with kindness he lifted his hat jim frobisher with his eyes fixed in wonder upon that frieze heard ann upcott's voice behind him and how do you interpret that strange word monsieur hanaud she stopped beside the two men that mademoiselle i shall leave monsieur frobisher to explain to you both ann upcott and jim frobisher turned hurriedly towards hanaud but already he was gone End of chapter twenty six End of the House of the Arrow by A. E. W. Mason